In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. What does it mean that the Word became flesh? To be incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary, what does it mean for God to be made man? One of the earliest heresies was to deny the humanity of Jesus. Unable to wrap their heads around the idea that God would become man, they instead sought to explain away the incarnation as merely an illusion, a costume that he wore. He wasn't really flesh and blood. It's not hard to understand why such a heresy developed when we ponder the incarnation. God who created the world, the universe. God who is infinite, not merely timeless, but outside and beyond time, beyond material existence. The creator of space and time itself not only enters into time at a particular moment in history, but doesn't come in a thunder crack, standing astride the heavens taller than the mountaintops or illuminating the night with his glory, but in a lowly manger, small, vulnerable, and very human. He enters into the world not just taking on our appearance, not just by assuming our nature, our humanity, not just taking on our flesh, but by becoming human in the same way all of us did, by being born, raised by parents, enduring all the everyday trials of earthly existence. How does the God who is everywhere and at the same time outside and beyond all things be also a man? A man who was once an infant, who couldn't hold his head up, who cried when he cut his teeth, who needed to be fed, have his diaper changed, learn to crawl, to walk, to speak. Why did the God who is infinite become a finite man? Why did he who is unbounded and yet wholly complete in himself as the Father, whose love is eternally begetting the Son, who in turn reciprocates that love perfectly to the Father, their love itself being the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the triune God, that has no need beyond themselves, become that which had consistently rejected that love. Remember, God who created the universe out of an outpouring of his infinite love, saw his creation rejected that, saw his creation reject that love by us. We chose disobedience, jealous of God's power, impatient with his promise. Nevertheless, he pitied our, flight, our plight, our enslavement to sin and granted mercy to us through Abraham. God made a covenant with him. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Genesis chapter 17, verses 4 through 7. God had already made a promise to Abraham, but he and his wife had taken it into their own hands to speed along God's promise through his wife's servant Haggai. But God would fulfill his covenant in his own time and his own way. It must be remembered that a covenant is not merely a promise, not a contract between individuals, but the outward expression of a social relationship between persons and community. In this case, between Abraham and his descendants with the three persons of the Trinity. Through this covenant, God was bridging the gap, reestablishing that fellowship 
that was lost through man's first disobedience. And as a sign of this covenant, God called upon Abraham and all the men of his household and all those who would come after to be circumcised, to mark them as a chosen people. This Abraham did before God blessed his barren wife, Sarah, with a son. The sign of faith by Abraham and his descendants of their trust in God. God's love poured out in creation and his mercy would be poured out through our participation in procreation. But time and time again, that faith would falter. God would deliver his people from captivity in Egypt, through which the covenant of circumcision would be the requirement to participate in the remembrance of the event in the Passover meal. But after their exodus, the people's trust in him soon wavered in the desert. He would deliver them the promised land, and they would put their trust in the powers of this world rather than on God. They would worship false gods. They would sacrifice their children, the very descendants through which God's blessing was to be manifested, to the demonic forces of darkness. Time and time again, man proved wanting. God had promised a Messiah, but man proved inadequate for the task. Thus, God would send his own son to take on our nature and be the man we could never be. Not just a man in concept, not an outward appearance, a God in the guise of man, not the abstract ideal of a man, but an ordinary man, a man like us, and like us, he was born into a family, into a people, a chosen people to whom God's promise was made. Man had proved time and time again that it could not remain faithful to the covenant, and so God came to be the man we could not be. God's covenant was to a people, and Jesus came not as an isolated individual, but one within a community, bound by and understood through its relationship with God, not just at that moment, but throughout history. Mary and Joseph were part of the faithful remnant, and it's through their and their forefathers' steadfastness through which God would take on the nature of man. For what makes us men and women is not merely a matter of biology, but one of family. We are who we are by means of both nature and nurture. Jesus is who he is because of God the Father, his mother Mary, and also the man who raised him with her, Joseph. Joseph, who on the eighth day circumcised his son. At the time, such an act was not only a religious but a political one. It would forever ostracize his son from the greater Greek and Roman world. He would be banned from exercising in public gymnasiums or using the public bathhouses because to the Hellenistic world, while they did both activities without clothes, to be circumcised made one indecent, too nude as they would see it. In fact, at the time, some Jews had begun to endure painful cosmetic procedures to correct the issue. Jesus' circumcision was the first time Jesus bled for us. Finally, the covenant relationship that God had entered into with man would find in him its fulfillment by God himself becoming man. Years later, Jesus would again submit himself to undergo baptism because, as he put it, it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness, Matthew 3.15. In our own baptism, we are, as St. Paul wrote to the Colossians, also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, 
in which you also are raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. Without that first physical circumcision, the righteousness required to transform the baptism of John as a mere washing away of our sins into one which transforms us would not have been possible. Because Jesus was and is righteousness itself, we are graced with not merely a cleansing of sins committed, but an incorporation into Jesus' life and death. And if his life, then we are incorporated into his circumcision. And if into his death, we are incorporated into his passion on the cross, his resurrection and ascension, dying indeed unto sin. Just as circumcision granted one a seat at the Passover table, our baptism grants us an entry to the celebration of the Eucharist. Finally, on the same day that he was circumcised, he also received his name, the name above every name, Yeshua, which we translate as Jesus, as Joseph was directed by the angel who explained, for he shall save his people from their sins. Interpreting the name Yeshua as meaning God saves. Jesus, the eternally begotten son, second person of the Trinity, very God of very God, came to us as a man, coming to us in the likeness of our sinful flesh, but himself blameless and without spot or stain, submitting himself to circumcision. Likewise, he submitted himself to be baptized, although he had no need of cleansing. In each, he transformed both, fulfilling the one and inaugurating the other, just as he, in his human body, transforms our humanity, fulfilling the promise of our natures and transforming it into something glorious beyond not only our capacity to achieve, but even to fully comprehend. For man cannot fulfill the law, so the one who is the law itself became man, like us, to take us into himself and be all that we cannot be, saving us by becoming us so that we might know him. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Angel of Mighty Counsel. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.